Hey, I'm Abai Karana, CMO at Feather, and this is the Association Marketing Show, the podcast where we go in-depth with association marketers to uncover the programs, strategies, and tactics they use to succeed. Our guest today is Amy Gavin, Director of Digital Strategy at the American Society for Nutrition. We talk about content strategy for associations, marketing channels and technology that actually work, and a whole lot more. Let's get into it. So really quick, just to level set and build some context, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your professional background, how you ended up in the wonderful world of associations, as I like to call it, uh, and how you ended up at ASN and what your role there uh, today looks like. Well, I, um, I went to school for graphic communications. And so my first job out of college was selling graphic design and printing. And that was in Washington, DC, where our main client base was associations. So that's what introduced me to associations. And I always loved my clients there. Um, and ultimately, I think I just wanted to be on their side of, of the deal rather than my side. Yeah. So I ended up going back to school and studying publishing, which led me into um, association publishing, specifically mm. scholarly publishing. Mm. So I worked for American Diabetes Association um, on their journals and American Geophysical Union on their journals. And then I just did that backwards for some reason. It was AGU and then diabetes. But anyway, so I left diabetes and went to American Society for Nutrition to gotcha. work in their publications department, um, doing sort of digital projects and finding ways to complement the journals with, with new products like online collections and that sort of thing. Gotcha. And there... I dabbled a lot into other digital projects across ASN, across the society in different programs and different departments, which ultimately led to my current position, which is director of digital strategy for the society. And that's a new position that just kind of came to be from, mm. from doing different projects. Mm. Um, and it's been really fun. So there have been several iterations of my position and here we are. Yeah. I'd love to dig in a little bit on that because your role is an interesting one that is pretty unique within the space. You know, like most associations will have, you know, somebody who's managing events or managing membership or managing yeah. communication or these kinds of things. But not every association has a dedicated digital strategy position. And that's exactly what ASN chose to do with you. So. Maybe tell me a little bit about the story there. How did that role get defined and how would you describe your role since it's probably a pretty unfamiliar one for most people? Yeah, it is really interesting. So I think it started with, um, we didn't have anyone who really managed our website, nutrition.org. And I had a little bit of experience um, managing websites really um, from doing freelance website projects. Um, using WordPress. So I kind of just jumped in and started working on the website and ended up um, sort of rebuilding it and doing different things with it. And that just expanded and expanded and um, ultimately led to me managing the website and, and managing, I guess, all um, technology mm. that supports other programs at ASN and, and drives other initiatives. Right. So I might not own the program, like our membership database, but I work on ways to integrate that with mm. the website or with 
another piece of software. It sounds like a very cross-functional role. Like you must have, of the, of the staff at ASN, you must have one of the most kind of like holistic uh, developed ideas about what's going on across the organization because you're interfacing with basically everybody and all of the tools that support all of the departments at, at the organization. Yeah, you're right. A lot of it is knowing what every department is doing and how can we pull that together and how can we leverage what one department's doing to help what another department's doing, department's doing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot of fun though. And it, yeah. and it's, it's a fun role to be in, to know what everybody's doing. Yeah. I have some more questions about the website, but before I go to that, could you just quickly describe the background of ASN and the size of the organization and yeah, so um, we're turning 100 in 2028. Wow. Um, in a nutshell, what we are is a membership society. We have about 7,000 members, always growing. Um, and what we do is really just provide a professional home for people who work in nutrition. Okay. So that could be a registered dietitian. That could be a professor of nutrition um, at a university. That could be someone who works in industry doing research or or somebody who works in policy for nutrition. So all different, mm. all different fields within the field of nutrition. Mm -hmm. um, and we serve these members by a variety of programs like um, our scholarly publishing, a lot of educational programs. We do a lot of advocacy and science policy work. So that's you know, building relationships with members of Congress and federal mm. agencies. Um, and we work with different organizations to um, really just advance our mission which is promoting evidence-based nutrition for, yeah. for the world. Awesome. So to, to the website really quickly, one of the things mm -hmm. that I've observed a lot is that the website is maybe the most like undercapitalized asset for a lot of associations. You know, Feather, one of the things we do is we sell advertising software specifically around retargeting, which is of course based upon website traffic, people that are coming to you already. And in a lot of the conversations we have with people in the space, they are, they are uh, often surprised when we tell them how much traffic their website is getting on a monthly basis mm -hmm. and therefore how much of an opportunity retargeting is. But overall, I think that's, that's a little bit of a window into often how undercapitalized of an asset the website is. And so you talked about in, in your new role, owning that kind of as a channel. So how do you, how do you think about that? Like, what are you optimizing the site for? Um, a lot of people, you know, are thinking about it maybe just from like an organizational standpoint that it should, it should easily lead the visitor to all of the places they want to go and kind of represent and host all of the different assets that the organization provides to its members. Some people think about it more in a marketing sense, whereas like, oh, this website is a marketing channel for us to try to drive certain behaviors. And therefore the website is measured based upon maybe certain conversion points. You're, you're so right when you, when you talk about how they're underutilized. Um, and I, even within the website itself, there are like more channels, mm. you know, you talk about ad retargeting because that's kind of a separate channel. And then, um, we do other tactics on our website, like um, pop-ups 
to drive traffic in other directions. So that's another way to use it. And we sometimes put um, content behind an email login and I'll give you this. Mm -hmm. So there's so many ways to use the website as a tool mm. uh, that are pretty, pretty easy. Yeah. Is, is it a major driver? It must be the major driver of new members. Cause I imagine one of the playbooks that you're kind of describing is you have your overall traffic base, people hitting your site in different ways. And maybe mm -hmm. above that, there's some channels and some strategies, right? Maybe there's paid advertising on, on LinkedIn, for example, or yeah. there's some other programs that are driving interest in the site and driving traffic. And then you're describing this kind of layer of, of gated content, right? Which is valuable content to your audience that people have to give you their contact information for. Lead generation is a, is a huge part um, of what our digital strategy is. Um, and, but another way, like you asked if the website is the main uh, generator for new members. Um, I don't know that that's the case. Hmm. Um, I, I have a feeling that most of our new members are um, from word of mouth hmm. and from networking. Well, it might uh, end up in the website, right? And this is one of the yeah. things that I feel like marketing as a skill set has really swung hard in the direction of measurement, 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 mm -hmm. right? And an attribution and knowing where every conversion came from. And that's certainly helpful, but there are some things that are just categorically impossible to measure, right? So like one of the things, like if you look at our Google Analytics or our HubSpot backend that shows our analytics for our site, mm -hmm. we see that the, the majority of the valuable leads that we're getting are from direct traffic and organic search, right? And that's, that's people typing in our domain, feather.co, into their browser, hitting enter and coming to the site and then converting, requesting a demo is, is kind of the main marketing goal that we're after is getting mm -hmm. more and more people interested in getting a demo of our software. Um, but the story behind direct traffic is usually a very long one that we have literally no insight into, right? Because behind that person typing in our domain into the browser, and then coming to our site and converting, there's a word of mouth referral. There's them seeing maybe an ad on LinkedIn that we've run that they didn't click on, but that reminded them about us. And their colleague mentioned something about Feather last month, and that was the reminder that they needed to then go to our site and convert, or to go to Google, type in Feather, find our website and click through and convert. And so what it looks like is, oh man, like direct traffic is amazing and organic search on, on Google is doing amazing. Let's invest more in SEO, for example. But actually the story behind that is not SEO. It's word of mouth. It's amazing customer service. It's an amazing experience from a customer that has led to a handful of recommendations that have led to people searching for our brand on Google that has led to those conversions. That's and, a really good point. And, yeah. I, and I love that you bring that up, that it's there's so much more than numbers. And while we do let numbers drive a lot of our strategy, I mean, not just for marketing, but for everything where yeah. to invest our uh, money and, you know, what programs to launch and things like that, there is so much more that goes into it. And, and that's, what's so wonderful about um, being a membership society and, and getting all of that feedback from our members who are also our customers, you know, mm -hmm. bringing them in and, and having them volunteer to, to let us know what they really need. One of the things that I think is 
kind of like one of your mini superpowers, I would call it the content strategy side of things. Your background is in publishing. It's a problem that I think a lot of a lot of marketers or people who are focused on digital or focused on communication distribution have is that their association produces so much content, but mm -hmm. very little of it actually kind of sees the light of day, so to speak, in terms of it getting proper attention, proper promotion, proper distribution. What advice would you give to association marketers, association professionals who kind of find themselves in the place of having like an overwhelming amount of content that they are attempting to distribute as as effectively as possible. I I do think we are doing a better job of that, but we're still not perfect at it. And I think it's similar to what you were saying about websites being such an enormous valuable tool. Our intellectual property is such an enormous valuable tool that we can use for marketing and we can use to just serve our members and, and our non-members, our audiences. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm a big proponent of content strategy and reusing content and repackaging it in new ways and new channels. And um, so I, I do try and in my role, how I have play a part in each department, I am lucky that I get to see what different departments are doing. So I might be able to make a connection in terms of content mm. and, and airing things and repackaging things. Um, so we are, we are trying to do that more yeah. um, in, in simple ways. And there are simple ways you can do it. Like um, we just put together a landing page on our website with teaching tools because a lot of our members are um, in academia and they're teaching remotely. And yeah. so we recognized this and thought, oh, well, we have some past webinars and we have this collection of articles that's appropriate for them. And I'm trying to think of what else was included. Oh, some content from our virtual meeting. Mm. So we created this landing page that just kind of has links to all of this stuff Yeah. where, so they don't have to go search for it. It's just one place where they can go and get access to all of this. And a lot of it's free. Yeah. And it's all that members have to log in, but um, most of it, anyone can access. So I think the key is just, um, you know, start small and take small steps to, to repackage things yeah. and present them in a way that just makes it easy for the user. That's such a simple, practical, actionable thing. It's, it's like curation, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's kind of, it, yep. it's stepping off the content production hamster wheel for a little bit where it's like, oh, next piece, next piece, next piece, next piece. And thinking, okay. Let's pause for a second. We have a lot of content. How can yeah. we repackage it, kind of reframe it in such a way that it brings, it breathes new life into that content and makes it even more accessible and valuable to our audience. Each piece of content that you produce may actually have a dozen other pieces of content that you could take from that, whether it's little micro clips of content, like from this podcast, mm -hmm. you're gonna see yeah. later on LinkedIn, there's gonna be five to eight little video clips and audio clips that we take out from the podcast that we use as standalone content pieces that then promote this ep this episode and that promote the podcast overall. It's, it's more of like an editorial strategic approach to content as opposed to like a production pipeline approach to content. So I love that, that you're also kind of echoing that same idea. And it can be hard when you're not the subject matter expert. You know, I, I don't know anything about nutrition other than 
what I'm eating. So, um, you know, I can't come at it from that perspective. So you have to kind of tap into your resources and, and kind of get other people thinking this way too, mm. to, to really help you get this sort of thing started. Yeah. What are, what are some other ways, if any, come to mind of repackaging content, turning one piece into multiple pieces that you've seen work? I'm glad you asked that because there's one, there's this new thing we did a couple of weeks ago um, that I was really excited about. So we saw one of our members tweeted about um, strategies to be a better scientific writer. And so she tweeted about how, um, how it's hard for her. So she publishes a lot in, in journals. She does research and then publishes her research. So she has to write about her research. So she was saying that it didn't come naturally to her to write. And Mm. so she took these strategies to become a better writer. And so she tweeted and then she had all these reply tweets to her own tweet where she expanded on what she was saying. And it was awesome. And it got all of these likes and retweets. And so I reached out to her and said, hey, this is great content. Can we repurpose it as a blog post on on our website? And she said, sure. So she wrote a little introduction just about mm-hmm. who she, you know, just one paragraph thing about who she is. It, it was great. It went over really well. It's yeah. the content that our audience wants. Yeah. And um, one thing, one reason why I like it is, you know, people are used to reading these lists and these little snippets of information. And here she had already done that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the hard part was done and we mm-hmm. just kind of repurposed it on our website. Right. So I think just having an open mind and, and looking at, at as, as you see things that are, that you say, oh, wow, that's great. Just think about what else you can do with it. Are you kind of on top of your association's social channels? It's a joint team approach. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to, to watch social media and respond to everything. I mean, as I'm sure you all know, yeah. um, that is a full-time job in itself sort of informal um we all just kind of keep an eye out on on what's happening from our audience and um work together to respond or do things like this how has covid impacted your association and and what changes have you had to make to respond to it? I think COVID really sort of exacerbated challenges that we knew we were already facing, like um, library subscriptions, for instance. That's a big revenue stream for us, subscriptions to our journals. Um, And exhibitors at our meeting, we Mm -hmm. had to um, cancel our in-person meeting and pivot to a virtual meeting. So that was another big challenge. And, you know, just like everybody else, the budget is a challenge in times like this. Um, But, you know, on the other hand, COVID brought with it some opportunities. Um, You know, there's been a huge highlight in the world about science communication, communication Mm -hmm. of science to to consumers. And we have a big initiative about trust and nutrition science, which is about how to ensure the public, the public's trust in, in the research that's yeah. going on in nutrition science. So, so that's been, you know, kind of a, a, a good side of COVID is that it gives us another opportunity to keep 
pushing on these initiatives that, that we're already working on. So I always like to ask this question so that the rest of, of our audience can kind of learn from your experience that which technology has really kind of panned out in helping to support the organization? Sure, that's a really good question um, because being in this position, you're right. There are so many tools that get that land on my desk to mm -hmm. review, and I want all of them. You know, <laughs> I mean, like being in the toy store, I want right. everything. Right. But. Um, you have to take a step back and these, these programs don't run themselves. These, I mean, a cool software program that'll give you all this data and all this analytics about whatever, somebody's going to read it and interpret it. And mm. then, and then what are you going to do with it? You know, I mm. mean, so these things are great, mm. but you have to take a step back and think about how much staff time it's going to take what it's really doing mm. is it um is it serving your members is it bringing in revenue mm. um is it providing data that that you need do you need that data right now yeah. um and are you set up to house that data and interpret that data and talk about that data um so that um said yeah yeah the the tools that work well for us are, are the ones we can manage you know, we've, I've made that mistake before where I've bought into some tool and I just really don't have time to do it. Right. Um, marketing tools that work really well for us that are easy to manage are, um, we have a pop-up system mm. or pop-up plugin on our, on our website that is really useful, um, and really easy to work with and, and gives us a great way to engage with people who visit our website um, Feather is also really useful and has um, been really successful for us for promoting our in-person meeting and for promoting content. Um, we try to think of new ways to use ad retargeting mm. that aren't just um, getting the user to buy something, right. but getting them to engage with us in other ways. So it's Feather has been good for promoting content as well. Um, and then another, I, I don't know if this falls into the tool category or pro, or pro technology, but anyway, it's having a partner who helps you manage all of this stuff. Um, I'm not a tech expert. Um, I kind of learn as I go and, yeah. um, know a little bit and probably just enough to get me in trouble sometimes. <laughs> good to have a, an expert partner and we do have a, a technology partner I guess is what we would call them cool. company um, out of Chicago that helps us with our website and helps us with search engine optimization and other marketing initiatives mm -hmm. what are the metrics that you really pay attention to or, or that you kind of encourage your different colleagues in different departments to pay attention to you could literally spend all day running reports. And we all know intuitively that's the wrong thing to do. The right thing to do is to focus on delivering value to your audience. But metrics, that being said, are important. So what metrics are, are you really paying attention to? It all comes down to what the goal is. Like, for instance, we're having, uh, we're asking for nominations from our members for an election coming up. And so for that, you know, we didn't, 
we didn't look much at, you know, what they clicked on in the email and that sort of thing. We just wanted to know who's completing the, or not who, but how many people are completing a nomination form? Mm -hmm. Are they aware that this is going on? So that one, that's a very simple one. Um, you know, just awareness and participation. Right. Um, other ones, like if we're trying to get someone to land on a certain page on our website and then give us their email address, I might look at, okay, how much traffic did this page get? How many email addresses did we get? Mm -hmm. Where did they go after, like if we didn't get many email addresses, mm -hmm. did they scroll to the bottom of the page? Where did they go? What, mm -hmm. you know, what stopped them? And then I might go backwards and say, well, how did they land on the page in the first place? Maybe mm -hmm. it's not really the people we wanted. The, mm -hmm. Maybe we were going after right um so i try to think about it not just in terms of numbers but in terms of um are we really achieving the goal and you know sometimes the goal doesn't really have numbers to support it you know it's just kind of a mission-driven goal where right. we're getting out there um we want people to see it yeah but there's nothing really they need to do right it's like it's just worthwhile it's something that you're going to invest in you're going to do it for X amount of time or put this much kind of time and, and budget behind it or whatever. And it's not yeah. necessarily being optimized for a certain goal. It's just like, this is worth doing and we're just going to put this much time into it. Yeah, I hear you. It's really easy to get locked into just what happens when once people visit. So of the people that visited, how many converted and say it's 20%. And then you spend, maybe you spend your time, you set a goal of improving that to 35% or something and you spend your time adjusting the content on the page or moving the button or the form or whatever. Yeah. But I love how you mentioned that oftentimes the problem or part of the problem exists before that. In other words, how are people getting to the page and are we getting the right people to the page with the right set of expectations such that when they get there, they download like <clears throat> we, we see this all the time, you know, our page design on certain types of pages, hasn't changed in a while. Like for example, our webinar registration page looks mm -hmm. the same today as it did about a year ago, but our, our landing page conversion rate goes up and down despite mm -hmm. that consistency in design. Uh, and so it may, it may have very little to do with the actual landing page itself and a lot more to do with the quality of the content that's behind the page or yeah the ways that we're getting people there and, and again, what kind of expectations they're coming to the page with. Yes. Yes. I agree. Like I've um, learned in the past year, our, our Instagram audience is very different from our Twitter audience. So that's a, that's another example. There are some things we just don't put on, hmm. on one or the other because yeah. it's just not applicable. We're just not going to get, it's just not worth it. Yeah. What are all of the marketing channels, kind of communication distribution channels that your association employs to communicate with members, communicate with non-members, just your audience? Um, and what are the ones that are that are really key and that you rely on on a you know day-to-day, -day, week to week basis? Um, email, of course. Um, our website, uh, social media. We use Feather ad retargeting um, for events, and actually, we use that for. Uh, member communications as well. Sometimes when it's a big member initiative, mm. we will do ads to try to get our members to participate in something. 
we just launched a new online community mm. for our members. Yeah. So that's a big new channel that I need to like put in my checklist. Mm. Um, so that's going to be a big one to see how we can use that to communicate yeah. and to, um, direct traffic and, and everything. Right. And so that's a member only community online. It is. And it, it mimics mainstream social media. Okay. So, um, so it'll be interesting to see how our members use that. I think it'll be successful. That can be hugely impactful and lead to a lot of that depth of, mm -hmm. of communication and of feedback. Obviously you can pay attention for members interacting with each other or talking about their professional lives on social, but if you can facilitate that in an owned property, like a, like an online community, that can be huge. What advice would you give yourself if you could go back in time and, and give yourself some advice getting started in your career or getting started with an association specifically? Share new ideas. As a newcomer, you know, share your ideas. Sometimes a fresh set of eyes is is all a project needs to to, mm -hmm. to really move forward. I think when I started out, I was always scared to speak up mm -hmm. and um, and scared to jump in and, and offer something. I was scared it would... I don't know, be dumb or, or yeah. not work out. And, you know, it doesn't really matter if it's dumb or doesn't work out, but it, it gets a conversation going. So I think sharing new ideas and, you know, that really goes for, for newcomers and their managers because managers need to encourage the sharing of new ideas. If you could wave a magic wand and solve any problem that you have in your role professionally, oh, what, what, what problem would you pick? All right, I'm not going to say budget because everyone would say budget, right? That's a good qualifier. <laughs> and, you know, you can you don't need a magic wand to increase your budget. You just need to focus in on your revenue streams. <laughs> you know where projects kind of stall out? Like you, you get a project going mm -hmm. and everyone's excited and everyone's on board. And then you need like this review period where people need to review it and um, yeah. you know, needs to like go before a committee or a board or something. I mean, this is a very important step of the process. Don't get me wrong. Right. You can have like a little fast forward button on that, on that part of the life cycle. Mm. So then we could get back to the fun part to get things to launch. Yeah. Is that a good use of magic? I, I, th I think so. And what's, what's kind of like exciting you today professionally, obviously, there are there are so many challenges um, that we're experiencing with COVID and and otherwise right now, but what about your work is kind of you know giving you the most uh, excitement or life or energy or optimism? Yeah, so we are starting out um, the implementation of three, not really more than three, really um, big new marketing plans across our society for our three big business units, knowledge, which is education and publications, um, engagement, which is membership and impact, which is um, like science policy and advocacy. So we have a marketing plan for each of those and then some smaller marketing plans within those units. Um, so that's really exciting to me that we're starting out um, implementing those. We've been doing a little bit, but they're really ramping up now. Um, and along with that, there are some creative projects, like some video creation, um, mm. 
that's coming up. I really like the creative projects. Mm -hmm. And we are looking at a new email automation platform. Mm -hmm. So that'll be really fun and a lot of work, but but really fun to, awesome. to get that going. And I just want to thank you so, so much for the generosity to give us your time and to have this conversation. That was episode two with Amy Gavin. Thanks so much again to Amy for joining us today. And if anybody would like to get in touch with her, Amy is available on LinkedIn. You can find her at Amy Gavin or email her at agavin at nutrition.org. Thanks for listening to the Association Marketing Show. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. And if the show's been helpful, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your association friends about us. It really helps the show. The Association Marketing Show is a production of Feather. Learn more about how Feather has helped over 800 associations grow membership, event attendance, and level up their digital marketing game at feathr.co. That's feather.co. We'll be back soon with an all-new episode. Until then, stay soaring.